everyone and welcome to Rad Chat, the multi-award winning first therapeutic radiographer-led oncology podcast. Welcome to podcast number 112. My name's Joe McNamara and I'm joined by fellow host Norman Joel Anderson. Hi everyone. So a big thank you to our last guest, John Organ, who discussed his life after a laryngectomy. If you haven't had a chance, please do go and take a listen. So we're really pleased to introduce our guest, Chris Rigby, tonight, who will be discussing their experience of bowel cancer and returning to work within the NHS. So evening, Chris. Thank you for joining us. Good evening. Thanks for inviting me. And Chris, you're a radiographer. Yes, I'm a diagnostic radiographer. Um, Many years. We won't hold that against you. I know. I know. It's... uh... Not popular with therapeutic radiographers, I know that. <laughs> we always joke that there's competition yeah. between us. Friendly so rivalry, friendly, really. friendly rivalry. Yeah, yeah absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so, Chris, can you just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about kind of what, what you do as a radiographer. Yeah, um, I work at Airedale Hospital in West Yorkshire and I've worked there for 24 years now. Um, I trained in Blackburn and Lancaster as, uh, as a student. And that, uh, at Airedale, I've um, specialised over the years. Let's put a frog. Especially <clears throat> over the years, working in um, treatments of well, diagnosing bowel cancers myself personally. Where I did bare minimums, um, and I work CT as well half time. I do CT scans, general CT scans, and colon CT scans. So I've got quite a, a vested interest in GI procedures, particularly. So it was quite ironic, ironic when I was diagnosed myself with a, a cancer in my bowel um, so I've been there many years I'm also an SOR rep as well uh, and an IR rep so I've um, I tried to be interested I tried to help people I tried to be a point of reference for staff um, so when I saw this opportunity to ch- speak to your chaps I thought it was a unique position I was in and I wanted to give something back because I benefited so much from therapy radiography myself personally wanted to put your story out there. What got you into radiography in the first place? Um, as a child I had quite um, a lot of x-rays myself. Um, I've got a, a funny left arm um, so I had to have x-rays on my elbow and sort of physiotherapy and things like that so I, I was under orthopedic care quite a lot so I was quite interested. My mother's a nurse so uh, working in the, or being around the NHS and sort of medical areas was second nature to me really. So, um, yeah, I just researched it really when I was at school and looked quite interesting to me and thought I'd give it a go. And uh, here I am, many years later. I haven't learnt my lesson yet. <laughs> I'm still I'm still doing it. <laughs> I love the give it a go attitude. There's yeah. so many people just fall into well, it's it. It's true, isn't like, it? I mean, you don't hear much. See what it's like. It's why you're doing this podcast because we don't really see us ourselves. We're all doctors and nurses, aren't we? You know, I'm sure you get the same in therapy. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're probably more known than perhaps you are, and no one seems to know who we are. Oh yeah. So it's. Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so I, I don't. I wonder how anyone falls into it really sometimes. <laughs> so Chris. Um, how did you then decide to specialise in your area of radiography? Because again, that's quite niche, isn't it? Yeah, um, I've only qualified a couple of years, and a training post came up. Um, obviously, traditionally it was a radiologist-led service was um, Barry Menemers and GI examinations particularly. Um, but I think obviously this was the oh, my pods are out. Can you still hear me? <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> These my sons do not fit me very well. Um, yeah, I um, better sorry. Yeah, my um, 
my boss said who anyone to want to train to do barium enemas as the radiologists would train us if we, and I said oh I'll, I'll do it thinking that no one else I, I was quite nearly qualified at the time I didn't expect that they would ask me to do it but then I realized that no one else wanted to do it there was only a couple of us who put our heads above the parapet so my boss called me into her office and said are you sure you want to do it because nobody else does I said well I said yeah so let's go for it so that the rest is history I, I started doing the barium enemas I did them for about um, five years four or five years and then um, I started doing uh, other examinations barium swallows barium meals uh, I started working with the salt teams uh, speech language therapists to do um, video swallows looking at assessing stroke patients swallowing mechanisms and things like that and I came across some ex therapy, uh, therapy patients as well then who've had oh, radiotherapy <laughs> leave that one out can you still hear me okay I leave the radiotherapy um, patients who've had swallow problems having esophageal treatments and stuff so I learned a bit about what you do from that area as well and then um, after a few years, uh, we stopped doing the barium enemas. Um, practice moved on, and it went to CT. So I started doing CT versions of it instead, and then I, I did the full CT course. I now dual qualified. I do diagnostic CT scans. I do um, diagnostic X-rays as well. Half the time, fifty-fifty. So, Chris, you obviously mentioned about um, your cancer diagnosis. Can you talk us through how you came to become diagnosed with cancer? Yeah, um, I think the symptoms started in my late 30s. Um, I was having some sort of bleeding. Um, I noticed when I go to the toilet and things like that. So I went to my GP after a few weeks and um, they said, oh, you've probably got hemorrhoids or something like that. And told me to take some, you know, anisole or something like that. And I said, all oh, right, okay, fine. And then it started to calm down a bit, really. Well, I thought it did. And then um, it was back in 2018. Uh, the Beast from the East... That it got really bad. Um, I came home from work. I've been on night shifts. So I came home from work and it, I was struggling really badly with going to the toilet a lot and just didn't feel right really. Um, then I um, thought, well, it was actually snowing at the time. As you know, from Beast of Meats, it was snowing all the time. So I um, thought that the GP surgery was quite quiet today because people don't like venturing out in the snow today. So I said, right, I'm going to run GP. Yeah, you can come now. So I went and saw them. And initially I saw the registrar and uh, he did blood tests and said, oh, have you got any family history of Crohn's or... I said, well, actually, I have. My cousin's got Crohn's. He said, oh, you might have that. I'll do it. I'll do it. Tests and stuff like that. I said, oh, okay, be certain. But I said, I've got symptoms that I know that I get patients for, you know, for my CT scans and stuff. And he was like, well, you'll be young for that. You know, you're only 41 at the time. And I was like, okay, fair enough. So I went, I came home. A few hours later, I got a phone call from him. And he said he'd actually spoken to one of the... Um, GP partners, and they because I've been more, I've been two, I think it was the third time I've been by this point, and uh, they said they said I think we better send you for a colonoscopy, but only if you're happy with that. And I was like, well, yeah, I think I agree. I think we should. Um, so anyway, it was March. I had the colonoscopy a few weeks later. I think it was about two weeks later, and uh, the nurse practitioner said straight away, you know, I felt uncomfortable. She was doing it to be fair, and, I, and she said, you know showed me the screen and said do you know she knows what I do said, do you know what that is and I said yeah I know what that is so I was uh, straight away I was given a staging CT referral and uh, MRI rectum 
referral. Um, I managed to get it done the same day because it was a weekend, but I've, I've been starved and people were working for weekends. So I rang them up and I said, Can I come up now? And they said, Yeah, come. So I got done straight away. And uh, the, consult, uh, the consultant who referred me um, rang me up at home actually and said, Come see me at the clinic before the clinic starts. That was the same week, I was on the Thursday. And I saw him before clinic and he told me about you know, the outcome, the, the prognosis and said luckily it hadn't spread anywhere. Uh, but I would need to have um, an APER surgery, abdominal perennial excision and rectum, which is leads to a permanent stoma. Uh, but that would obviously be in the future. First of all, I'd have to have five weeks of uh, chemotherapy with uh, radiotherapy at the same same time. So I had five weeks of that. That was started just before Easter. I think it was after Easter, actually, 2018, uh, at Leeds General Infirmary. So that was uh, where I got to my diagnosis. And then um, after my treatment f uh, finished, I had to wait until July uh, to have the surgery. And it's a non-reversible non um, stoma. So it's left me with a permanent stoma on my left-hand side. Uh, but I'm used to it now really, it's uh, part of me now, you know, so I have to get on with it. <laughs> In the moment, knowing that you're going to have to have that level of surgery, mm. what was kind of going through your mind? Because it's quite a big change to your body. Yeah, uh, well first of all it was just relief, I suppose, because you don't you always expect the worst when you don't. And I'd known I'd had symptoms quite a long time, so with my background in sort of medical sort of CT scans, I know how it can metastasize to the liver and uh, what have you and perhaps the lungs as well. So having been told that it hadn't done that was quite a relief. The fact that you could do this surgery and it would um, hopefully clear it completely was a relief really. It didn't really bother me the thought of having a stoma and luckily because I'm not squeamish about things like that in the background. You know, I see people with things like that so um, and I imagine it probably horrifies some people and subsequently I've, I've found that some people do find it very difficult to deal with that and I've known some patients that have come for some um, treatment investigations that I've been doing to look into reverse having stomas, non-permanent one, loop ones and when we tell them that they can't have it reversed yet because it's leaking um, they were quite upset so at least I knew I didn't have to have that decision in my mind in future do I reverse it do I keep it because I know it can be quite a tricky thing to reverse sometimes so you know I just decided to get on with it you know and it hasn't been that bad really it's there's a lot of worse things in life than that you know it's that's why I'm trying to raise awareness really a little bit from talking to people like yourselves you know it's not the end of the world you know there's lots of people out there with them so oh, thank you I'm for sharing here. Chris <laughs> thank you it's okay <clears throat> So, Chris, in terms of kind of the radiotherapy, um, you know, obviously mm -hmm. being a diagnostic radiographer, you probably didn't know much about us as therapeutics. Um, stay away from us as much as possible. Um, but, you know, <laughs> how was how was it kind of being a patient? Because it is so different. I know from my own experiences, it's sometimes it is worse knowing everything or at least feeling like you know everything or having some insight into mm. things. But I also think just around kind of logistics. So your experience sounds idyllic in terms of the speed at which you got diagnosed. Um, yeah, but, very yeah, very lucky. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are times when maybe across that pathway 
things didn't go as planned or that surprised you that you thought actually from a healthcare professional I can see how we could improve that is there anything that you saw specifically maybe through that radiotherapy process that you thought actually this is great or this could do with improvement I was struck by the calmness of the departments how everyone from the from the very receptionists up, up to the oncologists you know everyone was very very calm reassuring the nurses were fantastic when i had issues because i was having um quite i'm having a lot of radiotherapy um to my prostate area and my rectum so as you can imagine after about halfway through the procedure it was getting quite sore and the nurses were fantastic you know and they gave me all the stuff and i know from my background that it's a bit like a swan isn't it i can tell that i know from the top it looks quite calm but i know underneath it's probably anything but calm in the background i was aware of them having issues with breaking down the machines when i was there because um, sometimes we're moving from different linear accelerators to another because they had problems with um, equipment and i was quite lucky because actually i got quite a good relationship with them anyway because i know some of them anyway <laughs> my friend my, one of my best friends happens to be manager of the therapy department <laughs> at leeds so uh, and one of the um planners as well i'm friends with her as well so i actually knew quite a lot of staff and i knew some of them as well from my sor work because they're reps so some of the reps reps actually know treated me so um and they said to me do you mind us treating you i was like i'm oh, fine by me you know it's i feel quite happy it's your job you know um but i was very impressed with the kindness that everyone showed um under obviously quite trying circumstances i could see that from my background, I could I could spot some of the signs a bit, but they didn't convey that to the general public. You know, they they, they very very efficient, um, and I was struck for how much difference it made. Just the calmness of the area. They didn't convey any issues or problems. You know, which I'm sure they must have had in the background. Um, so it was all great, really. You know, I was really really impressed how nice they were. I know we should expect that anyway, but. Having not ever been really down in a therapeutic department before, it was similar but different, you know. It was still seemed quite as busy <laughs> as as we get it in our place, you know. Um, but yeah, having a CT scan was quite interesting because obviously they didn't know the radiographer did CTs, so when I was getting positioned up for that, it was quite interesting. The worst part was being was being tattooed. <laughs> that hurt. The tattoos hurt, I tell you that much. I don't think they do anymore now, but it was... <laughs> the student had to go first of all, and uh, she was too gentle. So the original said, I'll do it, stab me out. <laughs> that was probably one of the worst parts, actually. And uh, I did find it quite hard, the treatment. Um, probably more painful than the actual surgery, to be honest with you. Um, after about, what was it, five-week treatment, or probably about weeks three, or quite uncomfortable. Um, but that would be, I had been warned, you know, that this could happen. Um, so, but still, it wasn't very nice. But, you know, it was very transient, really, you know. Once the soreness went off, it was fine. Within about a few weeks, I was okay again. Um, so, yeah. Great That's experience, really. That's always good really. to know. <laughs> as much as it can be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looking back on radiotherapy, is there anything you wish you'd been 
told before or warned about or given advice on? Um, I'd read around it quite a bit beforehand, um, but I brought up myself. Obviously, I knew it was going to be aimed very close to, well, it was aimed through my prostate gland because uh, that's where the tumour was right next to my prostate. I had to have a PSA test and it was all fine. Uh, but I was, I've got two sons, so it didn't really matter. But they didn't really ever want to say to me about the effects it could have on fertility or sexual sexual functions and stuff. I sort of broached them with them and said, you know, is this true that this, could, you know, even the surgery was a bit. I think perhaps because they knew I worked there. I don't know, but they were a bit shy about discussing it really. And uh, I think they could do with perhaps a bit more openness about that with some people who perhaps won't be quite so clued up because it does have an effect on you. Um, but uh, I sort of mentioned it myself and they sort of said yeah yeah you probably will have problems um, which has proved to be the straight case really but I said, I've got two children so it doesn't matter really that doesn't matter but uh, I think some people at my age might not have children you know uh, until I mentioned it they sort of said oh yeah yeah you know so I think that could be somewhere that they perhaps but again I get it it's, it's a lot of it's a difficult situation to broach people so it's we definitely myself really yeah we but do we do make a big push especially through rad chat talking about sex and intimacy because it is something that maybe we don't talk mm. about and i don't know as a diagnostic radiographer is that anything that you would ever you know you're seeing patients after treatment and actually you know quite a lot of the time therapeutic radiographers might phone patients afterwards we might be lucky that we have a late effects clinic nearby but ultimately, diagnostic radiographers probably see patients with late effects more than therapeutics. Do you find mm. that, you know, what you went through has made you a different practitioner in any way? I I try to be open with my patients. If I've got um, in my CT, so if, for example, a few weeks ago I had a patient and um, I was just telling her about, you know, she'd been diagnosed with similar to me I, I just said that's what I've had you know and she was all she was newly starting the path down to diagnosis you know and she was scared and didn't know what to expect and having a CT colon you know and things like that and I said you know I've had all these tests done myself as well I've had colonoscopies I've had, col I've had CT colons and my own colleagues doing it on me you know uh, so I think so she was actually wrote a letter of praise and thanked us a few weeks later and said you know it made a big difference that she could talk to me about it and see what it's not the end of the world, you know, you can you can still be fine. I told her I had a stoma and she was embarrassed about hers and stuff. And I said, don't be embarrassed, you know, it's it's only basically your bum in a different place, you know. Everyone's got a bum, everyone has to have one somewhere, you know, and it's nothing to be embarrassed about. And um, so and I sort of try to gauge it. Some people, you can tell they probably don't want to talk about it, but I, could, I try to... Well, I think I think they it might appreciate it or might help them. I, do, I, I tell them and even show them sometimes. Hey, this is what it looks like, you know. So it's I think they sometimes it, they sort of don't realise that we're also in the same situation. We're not just that side of the fence. We can be their side of the fence as well, you know. So I think that has helped me a lot. And uh, I tried to write about this. I wrote in Synergy a few years ago as well about it. Um, my point of view, what happened to me when I was a bit more fresh in my mind, I did an article about it. Um, but yeah, I think I think it has helped me to be a bit more empathetic, I suppose you might say. I, I, 
I've been telling my colleagues sometimes people don't want you to be overly sympathetic, more empathetic, you know, I don't want people feeling sorry for you, you know, when I was, I didn't want people making a fuss over me and sending me loads of cards and stuff and, you know, sort of, you know, I just wanted them to be there for us, you really, you know, and support you, which is great, so I, I, that's, that's what I try to do with my patients when I'm talking to them, you know, just treat them like human beings and be honest with them, you know. Um, so yeah, I hope it helps out anyway. <laughs> Do you find that going back to work with your colleagues, things were slightly different? Um, they were they were fantastic with me. Um, yeah, I I I, um, I, went, I did a phase return. I was I was off twice. I was obviously off when I had my uh, radiotherapy and chemotherapy, and then uh, I went back to work in June for a few weeks, and it was really just a token thing. Really, I wasn't doing the shifts just doing normal hours I was doing phase return and um, they didn't push me to do anything really apart from sort of just you know sort of shift coordinate almost sometimes and um, just be with the students sometimes and be sort of helpful and then I went off again until from my surgery from July until December and again I came back under the same manner I didn't, I've never gone back full time to be honest with you um, I still do. I do thirty hours. It's still quite a good, you know, working week. But I don't do full time hours anymore, and I don't go to theatre or do anything like that because obviously you know, I never know with this stone or whether it's going to play up. And obviously it's a sterile procedure. You can't be wandering off halfway through a procedure and then to go to the toilet. So I don't do so. My, my practice has changed, but they've been supportive and you know wonderful with me. Really, I it's, couldn't ask for anything better. Really. Um, so yeah, I'm very lucky. <laughs> Chris, can I ask about kind of late yeah. effects? Because um, I kind of you mentioned it a little bit around obviously sex and intimacy and how that's been yeah. affected. But in terms of kind of other late effects, how are you coping and you know managing everything? Yeah, um, I don't know if my what, what symptoms I get sometimes or whether they're linked to having my radiotherapy or linked to the surgery because obviously. I've had quite a lot of my lower part of my um, colon removed, so I think all my small bowels just all dropped everywhere. So I think sometimes the bowels got a bit twisted up, you know, mixed up, and sort of I get these pains sometimes. Um, so I think I may I may well more to do with my surgery. Um, um, I do go to the toilet in the night times, but again, I don't. <laughs> That could happen before, you know. I don't think it's any worse, perhaps, than it ever used to be, but I'm not, I do often get up middle of the night to the toilet, which could well be linked to that, because obviously my bladder was in the firing line, as it were. Uh, but my actual bottom and stuff, where that's, uh, well, the radiotherapy, that's all fine now. Uh, um, yeah, I think most any problems I do have now might well be to do with the surgery than the actual uh, radiotherapy. But, I mean, obviously I've got the lasting effect, like you said before, that's a lot of the ongoing effects. Definitely, um, I've had prescriptions from the, the GP and stuff like that, Viagra, and um, I don't, I don't think I could have children anymore if I wanted them, which I don't. Um, so that's obviously the probably again that's linked to the surgery as well as the radiotherapy. I can't, I can't take them apart from each other because the surgeon did tell me that obviously my on the blood supply around the my sort of pelvic area was going to be disrupted um, so yeah it may well be a combination of both I, I couldn't tell you 
Um, can I ask, Chris, so yeah. about the surgery, you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, obviously, around having to basically ask directly to the surgeon if your sex life is going to be affected. Yeah, it was more the therapeutic, uh, sorry, more the uh, oncologist that I sort of asked. The, the, the general surgeon did sort of, in a roundabout houses way, sort of mention it, but they didn't really... It was a, I think it was Registrar that I mentioned it to. Uh, just you know, I said you know, will this affect that? If I was uh, well, yeah, yes, it could do. Um, do you want any more children? We could we could look into it. I said no, it's fine. I'm just interested because you mentioned it. It's not just <laughs> about went, children, though, is it? Surely. I felt a bit. I don't know whether she was she was quite young, whether she was a bit embarrassed or something, because I think she was quite a junior Registrar, and whether she was a little bit obviously speaking to me, being a bit younger with my wife there, whether it was she found it a tricky, a tricky thing to. Broach, I don't know, but uh, yeah, it, it felt to me that that was an area definitely that I thought could probably be a bit more improved and open, but I get that a lot of patients probably don't want to discuss it at the time, but then I think you need to, because if you have no insight or any idea this could happen, it could be a, ma a major shock um, to a lot of people that, you know, it's, if you I'm not the same person as I was before, you know, and uh, I never will be again. I have to accept that. Um, Has there been any impact uh, on your partner? Um, she's been fine. Always, you know, um, she was very lucky when I was diagnosed. Um, uh, she's a teacher in her school. Fantastic. Let her take time off to take me to my treatment and stuff because I couldn't drive. I was too sore. And uh, obviously a lot of places don't have to do that, so I really, really appreciated it. And obviously she was very upset at the time. Um, and the way, in the way, I was happier it was me than anybody else in the family. It's a bit strange. I don't know if anyone's ever told that before, but I think I'd found it harder if it being them, you know, <laughs> children or your wife than or your family than yourself. It's very strange. I could, I tried to. Um, almost put myself is in the third party in my mind how I was looking at it from a medical point of view sometimes rather than emotional from me point of view um, but obviously that did get to me at some times and both of us and uh, we spoke to uh, we saw McMillan when we were in L LGI and uh, she was quite upset one day and uh, they spoke to her when I went to have some treatment she went and spoke to the uh, McMillan team and um, they said you know, give give Macmillan a call if you feel bad. So she spoke to Macmillan um, on the phone one day for about an hour, I think, and then she said, "I think you should do it as well." So I, I, I was a bit resistant at first because you know I was like, "I'll be fine, don't need." But then it did help. I did speak to them and um, quite helpful. You know, it's uh, I remember being quite upset afterwards. Uh, probably probably more upset than I realised at the time. Um, Upset because you feel bad for putting your family through such a traumatic experience and the upheaval and you know cancelling family holidays for my ch children were quite young at the time were uh, ten and six I think so it was um, obviously you tried to sort of shield them a bit from what was going on you know they told them I wasn't well but you know they were treating me and going to get me better and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, that was quite a tough time looking back, and uh, but I've never—it's funny—I've always been very optimistic and very confident that my treatments worked. 
you know, I've never had any doubt. You know, you hear these people having well, scanxiety, or what to call it, where they're very worried every time a scan comes up or they have a blood test. And that's never bothered me. I've always been absolutely convinced that it hasn't spread. Um, and even these issues I've had with some pains and stuff, again, I've been quite convinced it's might be more of a, a mechanical problem as opposed to a metastatic problem. On my blood test, I've always come back, you know, less than one for CEA, and prostate was always fine, and um, my staging CTs have always been clear. So, you know, that's five years down the line now, so, you know, that's basically it now for my um, follow-up scans and things. Um, but, yeah, I, I think my wife's okay with it now. Obviously, now looking back, um, so far, you know, over mm. five years ago, have you had more conversations with your children about it? Obviously, you told them you were unwell yeah. at the start. And I think we've had people on before who've talked about it can be quite difficult to use the right terminology when people on, uh, kids yeah. are quite young, but then as they get older, it's open. Yeah, I think I'm not entirely certainly the youngest is 12, whether he really understands even now, really. But so the eldest, you met George, knows. And he said, tonight, what are you doing? I told him, and he said, it's about when you have cancer. And I said, yeah. So, you know, and, uh, he's done some sponsored walks for uh, raising money for the hospice and stuff recently and uh, donates money sometimes to the Macmillan cancers and things like that. So, you know, he's, um, I think at the time he probably was more clued up than we gave him credit for, but I just didn't want to put that pressure on them really at the time. But I get that. Well, I have to discuss it with them again one day because um, I was told that they'll probably have to have endoscopies when they're about in their 30s. Because I was in my thirties when I started with problems um, against the uh, the normal expectations. Because there's no history in my family. You see, that's it's a strange one. My parents, my parents have ever had any sort of apple cancers or anything like that. So any sort of cancers. So it's a bit strange, really. I don't know what why suddenly I got one. <laughs> it's uh, strange, isn't it? But you know, we'll never find out probably. Chris, before we let you go, I've got to ask, um, and probably congratulate Joe as well on her award, but um, Joe texted me saying that you won Rep of the Year. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, thank you. Yes, I did. For the... um, yeah, my colleagues at work have uh, very graciously nominated me. I'm an industrial relations rep, and uh, we... Um, as you probably know, the diagnostic radiographers and the therapeutic radiographers had a um, ballot uh, for strike action. I managed to whip my staff into voting, and we did vote for strike action. And we were the only st the trust in the whole of uh, West Yorkshire and North Yorkshire that voted for it. I think uh, Sheffield was involved as well. Um, I've been down to Sheffield uh, some meetings and stuff because we because they were, I think it was Sheffield was the only other trust in Yorkshire that did it. So um, I managed to get them all out on the picket lines and um, try to get them interested. So um, they very graciously nominated me. I didn't ask them to. I didn't know they had done. Um, so I, you know, very, that's why I think. I think they just said they were impressed that I managed to get them because I know a lot of trusts did fallen down because this new um, voting scheme is quite tricky now to um, jump over the hurdles to be able to take strike action and I think it's going to be more tough shortly so that's the reason why I think I was nominated and uh, luckily I don't think anyone else was so 
<laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Chris, you can't say that that is why you've won it. It sounds really impressive, and I think taking strike action is massive for it's any no radio for isn't it? Like it it's, you know, we recognise. It's not the yeah. first time we've had yeah. to do it either. You Absolutely, know? we recognise, don't know, we? Yeah. I just want them to vote. As all I said to them, you know, I'm not going to tell you how to vote, you know, but it's important that you do vote, be it yes or no. It's entirely up to you, you know. Um, our mandate runs out in December, um, so I, th I don't know what will happen. We may well have one more strike before that, and then we'll have to vote again. Um, but I'm gonna, again, I'm going to say to them, you know, again, if you don't want to strike anymore, then you've got to vote no, you know. You've got, you need to vote because it's a, it's a dem democracy. But I, did, I always instill in them that even if they personally don't want to particularly strike, that they shouldn't disrupt the strike for their, member, their colleagues who are striking, you know. If they're going to work, they need to work within the guidelines. And I get it's more difficult for um, therapeutic radiographers because I know we had a discussion where I got with uh, Sheffield and stuff. Um, it's been very tough for them. I think um, in Liverpool as well, I think the therapeutic department there was striking and I think they found it very hard. Um, obviously you have time dependent treatments don't you and stuff like you know you can't recatch really up so much easily on like we can in diagnostics you know we could just do it later on next day or the weekend or something I guess that's not the issue with you guys it's not possible if someone has to have treatments I know from personal experience you have to have your treatments at certain times so I think it was more difficult for them so I, I took my hat off to them for being able to even contemplate it yeah well Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Chris. Before we let you go, we always do top tips. So do you have any top tips for our listeners? So it might be a top tip for patients, people training to be a healthcare professional or, you know, someone who's already working um, as a radiographer. Patients, ask questions. Don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. Um you know, that's the people were there to help them, look after them as you are as well, you know, and no questions stupid, you know. That's that's what I always say to people, you know, you ask any question you like because, you know, I know the answers. Well, I hope that I can find out the answers for you, but, you know, if you don't know, you don't know. It's, it's no shame in that. And like I said about broaching subjects that are tricky, you know, if you have if you have a question like that, ask them, you know, it's the job. Um, students, I, I, I let all the students treat me when I was in Leeds you know I was quite happy um, and then let them position me and then and took my time and it's fine you know and then I was the same with nurses when I was in hospital I said all oh, the nurses can do what they want to the student nurses can come and join in because I train students I understand you know uh, again students just um, talk to patients like humans you know and chat to them distract them talk about different things it doesn't have to be about only about the treatment if they're up for it you know talk about anything else weather football you know, anything, you know, in the day, people want to talk like normal. They don't want to be on a conveyor belt or feel like they're on the conveyor belt of just churning through, you know, which is a very easy thing to get into with radiography, both diagnostic and therapeutic, because obviously the work pressure load, workloads are so high. That's why I quite like doing colons, I actually do, because we only do with six, seven patients of a session. You actually do get to talk to patients, you know which is not so easy when you have a normal list of about 20 patients. you just got to game in, game out, game in, game out. Um, so, yeah, talk to people like normal. Um, don't be, as students as well, don't be afraid to ask questions. And it's, I find that with students, it's sometimes the hardest skill 
is to learn to talk to people um, and just chat, you know, and uh, be open and honest and discuss with them. <laughs> That's what I think. Just be normal, be nice, <laughs> kind, and try to think well, how would you feel if you were in that position, you know. That's why I try to remind myself, remember when someone comes in, what it was like for me. And uh, I try and tell that to my colleagues as well, some of the students, well, you know, I've been through these things, I know how it feels. Um, thank you. Thank you for writing me. Thank you for listening to Rad Chat. Your hosts today have been myself, Jay McNamara and Namajoka Anderson. If you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with links to resources and literature that we've discussed. To receive your accredited CPD certificate, please complete the Google form linked with the podcast. Our next guest to feature will be Rihanna Rue Lissandro, who will be discussing her role as an oncology dietitian. Thank you all for listening and take care.